Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I am Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we are off to Richmond this weekend. It is a team-constructed open, standard, modern, pioneer. I'm going to be battling. You're going to be doing commentary, and I guess for this episode, we're going to talk about all three formats, starting with standard. Yeah, this is an exciting tournament. I am always excited to go and do an SCG event, but there's a lot of things going on here that have me particularly pumped. First of all, get to work with my good friend, Emma Handy, the first time we've ever broadcast together. I'm really excited to work with her. Very interestingly, the first ever conversation Emma and I ever had was in our Discord. And basically we talked a bit about our goals in the space and how we both hope to one day do commentary. We closed our first ever conversation yeah. by saying, hopefully one day we'll get to do it together. And that was about two years ago. And now we Yo, get to do a show that, together. That is rad. That is That's awesome. really cool, right? Yeah. I, I'm very proud of her for all she's accomplished for sure. Uh, so that's going to be awesome. And then of course, three basically brand new formats. It feels weird to call standard brand new when we've both been working very, very hard at it for a few weeks now. But this is its big debut on a grand stage. You get to see standard played by some of the best at the SCG tour. And modern is fresh off bands. And of course, Pioneer PT is coming up. Everyone's focused on that Pioneer seat, trying to get some last minute tech as we head into Phoenix. I know Brussels decks are basically getting submitted today, uh, Nagoya as well. So this is going to be a little bit late for those folks probably may have missed the boat for them. We'll get you next time, European and uh, APAC listeners. Well, I was trying to answer questions as they came up in the Discord, but realistically, I didn't have a whole lot of great insight as far as last week was concerned, like my advice basically would have been to play mono black. And then there's some new stuff that came out that kind of changes things. And you like all these formats, you just need to be on the cutting edge of information and what is going on. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, what podcast drops every Thursday and sometimes some stuff happens over the weekend and just invalidates the things that we say, you know? So I'm, I'm not sure how helpful us doing a podcast on it last week would have been anyway, but that's also just being a little bit results-oriented, I think. No, it's a fair point. I, I can think of a very big development that has happened in the past week that would certainly change my stance on the Pioneer format. And if not, if we had put out a show last week, it would just be missing from the conversation. Right. And it really wouldn't be up to date whatsoever. Okay, well, we'll get into that. First, we're going to start we with Standard. Last week, we did yes. the tier list. I think I think we did a pretty good job, man. We did good. We did good. It, it's wrong, but we did good. It, it's tough to nail that first tier list. It's, and it's again, wrong now, basically, a week later. It's wrong now. Right, right. And it was basically the day after we put out that episode where you started to see change really take shape. And we're going to talk about that change today. And then I can also see some other changes starting to take shape right below the surface. Oh, yeah. And maybe by the time this episode actually comes out, that will be the new hot tech and it'll completely run over Richmond. But we'll get through all that. Go ahead and give us your spiel on how you see tier one in standard as it sits right this moment. Well, let me let me preface by saying that I am in the modern seat for Richmond. I'm teaming with Nick Prince and Allie Warfield again. And uh, Allie's on Pioneer. Nick is on standard. I have continually suggested that we be more flexible as far as like being able to change seats and stuff like that as things come up and things change. But so Mm -hmm. far we have mostly just stayed pat. So uh, I believe 
Nick is going to be in the standard seat. So I won't actually be playing standard, but I've been trying to play a decent amount of standard to, you know, just be able to answer any questions or like have him bounce ideas off me or what have you. And our, our tier one list from last week was Azorius Control, Simic Ramp, Jun Food, Mono White Devotion, Mono Black Devotion. Since then, I think we have two clear winners in Azorius and Simic. And yep. Jund, Mono White, Mono Black have kind of fallen off a little bit, mostly because I think Simic is too good. Not not like too good, like yes. Oko too good, right? But like is it occupies a place in the metagame where it gets to invalidate a bunch of stuff. And basically, if you're like aggressive but not super aggressive, this deck is just going to go over the top of you, right? Like we've seen this a lot before with any sort of Nyssa Hydrocrasis deck, and that's just kind of going to continue, I think. A lesson we've harped on a bunch over the last six months in Standard, you can't be the smaller mid-range deck. It doesn't work. You get squeezed out by the big mid-range deck and that role being very well occupied by Simic Ramp right now. And something like your mono whitelist that we were both very pleased with, it falls into that trap very, very hard. And to be fair, I have played some games with that mono whitelist where I actually just outscale the Simic deck. Right. It's rare though. It's it's more rare than I would like, especially when they have their end game appropriately adjusted. And honestly, no matter what end game it is, it can give you fits if it just lines up well. But essentially you're you're taking the role of the smaller mid-range deck, never a good place to be. Sort of. So the mono white deck that I would recommend is the one with healer sock. So you have eight one drops, mm-hmm. and if you are still finding that you are not able to control the battlefield via size from like Heliod and things like that, then I think that you need to just reevaluate things and see if you can make any changes to actually help with that. And things that I think would help are additional one drops and maybe something like Venerated locks it on too and just becoming more of a beatdown deck, but still maintaining like the Heliod package. Yeah, a shift towards a more aggressive angle, basically moving back further down the spectrum as opposed to trying to compete in the middle of the spectrum, I think makes a lot of sense. Also, as far as sizing, like against a bunch of builds of Simic, that is a reasonable thing to do, depending on which end game they employ. It may not be. You have some really awkward sizing decisions you have to make in the face of potential agent of treacheries. And if those start getting blank, then it just doesn't matter. Like it, it will take over no matter what you're doing on the other side. So. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think mostly what I would try and do is just set up board states that are lethal than worrying about any specific thing that they might be trying to accomplish. Like, I don't care if it's agent Mm -hmm. or uh, finale of devastation or whatever. Yeah, just try to make sure that you can build a bunch of four fours and giant killer their cavalier of thorns or banishing lighted or whatever, or just double jump attack into it you know, and get through for lethal that way. I think that is the best plan to beat them. I agree that like slowing your deck down, doing like Arcanist Owl type of stuff isn't going to pay dividends whatsoever. And you do need to get a little bit lower to the ground and that's how you should be adapting. The squeeze is that that makes you a little worse against Azorius because then you have, you know, these Uh crappy one mana creatures that just slam headfirst into Shatter the Sky. So I don't know. Maybe you need some some sort of sideboard plan, or maybe it just means that 
Uh, being Lord of the Ground allows you to play Gideon main deck or something like that. And then you have this way to kind of pressure Azorius through a sweeper. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just back to the drawing board, right? It's like the Daxos into Heliod is good. The way we wanted to build it doesn't necessarily fit into this metagame rather than just like throwing it in the trash. I mean, we, we have a lot of tools, right? Like we can see if we can just rebuild it, but it could also just be a bad version of something else, but we don't know that yet. Yeah, still a lot to discover. And I like that you mentioned the squeeze of Azorius and Simic because what I said is it's starting, it's starting to feel like the walls are closing in on this format. We had the few weeks where it felt like you'd do absolutely whatever you wanted and there was all this cool stuff to explore. And then the twin walls of Simic Ramp and Azorius Control started to put some real constraints on what your deck must be able to do. You simply have to be able to play through sweeper effects. You have to be able to have either closing speed or a comparable endgame to Simic Ramp. And if you do not, you will lose. And a big, big winner under those constraints over the past week has certainly been Mono Red. I think that is the deck that, I don't know if we mentioned it at all. I don't think we did. I think maybe there's like a a blurb where I, because I had been playing Mono Red prior to us recording and was pretty impressed by it. It was doing things that kept pace with everything going on around me. I certainly didn't have the best list. And as this week has gone on and we've seen multiple really strong mono red lists, there's no question that this deck is poised to have a huge breakout weekend as we head into SCG Richmond. Yeah. If, if you ever need mono red help, uh, go to Sandy Dog MTG or Aaron Barrich. They will hook it up. Yeah, and both have absolutely crushed it on Arena. Sandy Dog was sitting in the number one spot for a good period of time. No surprise there. Sandy Dog continues to dominate with Burn, has for years, always will. Definitely a great place to check if you need that tech. Yeah, and I, I think he was like streaming it too, wasn't he? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. I didn't get to, to check it out or anything, but yeah, I mean, he, he just crushes it. And it's it's not even just with Burn, you know? It's like he he does have a range. I, I don't know if he was playing Hogak. I don't remember that, but I remember seeing him like play Urza at some point. It's just like he will mostly play whatever the best deck is if he has to, but will generally default to red. And he'll he'll still do like pretty good with red, but I don't think it's one of those things where it's like you just get to hold the number one spot for eternity uh, unless the deck is actually good. And then there are also right. instances of multiple people having success with it, right? So when when you're talking about playing mono red and having success with it, the thing that I'm wondering about is what what version? Because we do have a lot of tools for all these different decks and the one drops mostly stink. And yeah. I think the the like three, four and beyond mana cards are pretty up for debate. So what is the best way to be mono reading currently? So I was playing a bunch with Aaron's list, a, a bigger take on the archetype. And one of the reasons I really like that approach is because the three drops are super, super strong. Uh, both Phoenix and Annex play very, very well with Embercleave, can pump out tremendous amounts of damage out of nowhere. And so your deck gets to be a little bit less all in. We talked about playing through rats. If you can just generate preposterous amounts of damage through a few cards. And of course, Annex has the nice play after Sweeper where you get a few 
little tokens on the battlefield and able to get back to Embercleave status very, very quickly, regardless of being swept. So that plays very well. It's got four power quite often, so you get to draw your card, which matters a bunch for red. So all those boxes being checked have me super into the three-drop spot. Uh, Aaron had an approach with like Rixmati Reveler and some Blacklands, and I wasn't crazy about the Blacklands, but I do like the trend of just being a little bit bigger and playing the really powerful tools that Mono Red has available right now. Torbran, of course, a big part of the equation as well. Yeah, agreed. It, it just makes me wonder, though, if uh, you're actually supposed to be Mono Red just because of how bad the one drops are. Obviously, it does make things like Annex a, a, a little bit stronger, you know, but there have also mm-hmm. been some rumblings of like Racto Sacrifice and stuff like that. And I've messed around with that deck yeah. a decent amount, too. A Crone War is very good against Simic still, but I mean, maybe you are just better off doing Embercleave things. I certainly believe that because Embercleave seems to be a fairly good solution to both Simic and Azorius. Yeah, Mono Red might be one of the clearest representations of the churn and the evolution concepts that we keep talking about and how all these decks have the tools to adapt. I mean, there's, what, six, seven slots which have absolute flexibility and... Those decisions matter. Which version you bring to Richmond will matter very, very much as to whether or not you have success. And it's a lot to ask for people to account for a red deck that has that many options because you can't just play these blanket red answers. Some of them don't line up all that well, and you have to be really tailored in your game plan and how you're going to fight these decks. I've been working mostly on the ramp side and trying to find various strategies that hold up well against the red approach. It's even had me back to like things like Wicked Wolf in the sideboard sometimes, which depending on the version of red you're going to face could be great, could be terrible. It's, yep. it's kind of a toss up. So yeah, Wicked it's Wolf, a tough question to answer. Wicked Wolf is the card that I thought of too. And Brontodon is kind of the go-to answer for Embercleave as well. Plus it's, it's just fairly right. large, but yeah, it, it doesn't, those cards don't necessarily line up against all of their draws. And they're also just pretty weak against a lot of other archetypes. I mean, like Brontodon plays Disenchant fine against Azorius, but not at four mana. You know, like it it just seems like green right. is the color that actually did not get a good Disenchant with this set, which is unfortunate for them, but like good for the format as a whole because green and Simic basically just had all the answers already. So I'm actually fine with that. It's, it's pretty wild to say that when Return to Nature exists. Like, I, I know the point you're trying to make, but there's an actual better than disenchant disenchant in green, and you still want something more. You want something that has a little bit more bang for your buck. Just a pure disenchant isn't cutting it in modern magic. Well, for example, I think uh, Simic might just want to play Brazen Borrower. I think that would even be a better disenchant where okay. you, you have this card that is... So, so red doesn't have a ton of disenchant targets, right? So like if you have Return to Nature, it just sits there forever until they actually draw and play an Embercleave, but that's not a guarantee. And they they can certainly beat you without it, you know? But Brazen Borrower is a thing where it's like, oh, well, maybe I can uh, get rid of a Torbrand in combat or an Annex or something like that. And it still has this flexibility, even if they don't have Embercleave. And Certainly, if you're using it defensively against Embercleave, you have to get a lot of mileage out of it because Embercleave is likely just going to come back down in the next turn, right? So, right, it's a right. give and take. But I think that I think that Borrower in some numbers is probably correct, and it's it's also just good in a lot of different matchups. You know, it's like completely fine against Azorius and like resetting Banishing Lights and stuff like that. Uh, and then right. 
allows you to clock them too, which is nice. Yeah, I like that. Picking off a Phoenix can matter against Mono Red as well. That's one of the few blocks that Brazen Barrer could actually make in that matchup. That sounds pretty yeah. promising. I mean, I'm I'm starting at four Ether Gust, and there has to be a limit to how much of this effect you want, right? Like, can you really have that many temporary reprieves in your deck? I guess when you're combining them with Clock, it gets more attractive. Also, I, I will also make the argument that these Simic decks do eventually reach the point where they can just effectively block something wearing an ember cleave in most instances yeah so it's it's clock or velocity right if you're just drawing a bunch of cards you don't really care that you know you're just uh time walking both players with an aether gust right right uh you you just don't want the situation to happen where it's like oh i have eight mana and an aether gust and nothing else to do with my mana and you know, they just replay their Torbrand on the next turn. I'm still just as dead. Like this card didn't do anything. You have to be doing something else with your mana for sure. Well, it is an interesting adaptation that Simic will have to make. I also just think like their main deck is now completely back to the drawing board. Not to say the default packages we were using previously are completely out the window because you can still make a case for them. And I think like Risen Reef, Leafkin Druid is still a fine setup against the format at large. But when you think about effective removal from the red decks when you think about the fact that there is a very strong sweeper in the blue white decks you are incentivized to look at these i guess creature lighter acceleration packages i'm seeing more wolf willow haven i know yo man was working a lot along with bob and cheese on a list all this week really trying to emphasize the wolf willow haven growth spiral side of acceleration and get away from that vulnerability so we're seeing the simic decks start to make their shifts now in order to keep up with the other members of tier one yeah and uro helps with that too a little bit right it does it does it can be your plan in a lot of instances i keep wanting to experiment with getting away from Cavalier of Thorns, and then that necessitates getting away from Uro. And then there is a very, very real lull and inability to protect yourself over that turn three, turn four period that I haven't quite been able to fill in. I tried with Dried of the Elysian Grove, and there was something interesting going on there, but the deck wasn't quite fleshed out. It's something I want to return to, again, as the metagame turns, and maybe you can just get away with this type of stuff. Yeah, one of the things I was messing around with today was... A couple different versions of Simic that were not really ramp based, but I don't know. It was just more food nonsense, I guess. But like Gilded Goose certainly helps against Mono Red because you get to be a little bit faster. It's not ideal against Azorius, but it's not like a Leafkin Druid where it is just like completely dead. You know, you can make some food and then use that for Trail of Crumbs later and stuff like that. But Witch's Oven in combination with the Titans is super strong and makes it so the Goose continually gets to make food. You're basically just like making a proxy Oko. Uh, So you just Mm. get to keep making mana with Gilded Goose and you get a bunch of food and a bunch of life to fight the red decks with. And Uro combos pretty well with the Great Hinge and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think there's probably something there too, but I would imagine that you just get dumpstered by the actual Simic decks that are just going over the top of you. Yeah, that's another example of those polls. If you do not have a late game that can compete, you will get blown up. I was working on also other Simic decks today. Mine were more experimental, we'll say, self-mill type setups because I do think like not interacting with the battlefield whatsoever is pretty appealing when 
there are decks which do such a good job of just getting bigger than anything else. So instead you get to play some Simic games and then oops, I win with Thassa's Oracle. And it was a cool little idea, but there's just such power coming out of the poles of the format right now where I think it's a little bit too much to ask your deck to account for those things while you try and put together these kind of suspect game plans. Yeah, I mean, Merfolk Secret Keeper, Tamiyo, like you have a lot of good self-mill options and I mean, Cavalier too, if you want to go down that route. And then there are not really good fog options, but things like Brazen Borrower, for example, will basically buy you a turn and you can just do enough stuff where you just prolong the game, gain some life and eventually combo them off. And, you know, we're, Thassa's Oracle is kind of messed up. Like we're starting to see that in other formats too. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that could be a deck at some point, but the format is very powerful, even in the face of some bans. And the decks don't necessarily kill you very quickly, but they can turn the corner very quickly. And what's the earliest that you can kill someone with a Thassa's Oracle? You know, like turn seven, turn eight? Yeah, six, six, seven, if everything is optimal. I had Lucky Clover as well, so there are some pretty strong draws. But Yeah, Clover's nice. Clover, Emery. Yep, Clover, Emery. Uh, all kinds of nonsense. I'll share the list over in our Discord. I don't recommend it for tournaments. I'm trying to be more clear about that these days. I like I share things that excite me, and there's a lot of times where just an idea will excite me, and I'll be like, oh, this has potential. I want to explore this. And I, I think people often take that as, oh, I am excited about this deck. Go play it in your next tournament. And there's kind of a middle ground there where you have to do some some more research before you can bring it out to the next tournament. So this deck is not tournament ready. I am being clear about that. Yeah. But something cool going on. You want to splash around in in, uh, silver or whatever on arena, by all means. Go for it. Uh, So what happened to Mono Black? We'll touch on that real quick, too. I don't know that I can point to a particular flaw. I just think it's not good enough. I mean, it's got some of the smaller mid-range problems. It can clock with its best draws. But maybe that's the rebuild we need to look for if Mono Black's actually going to do something in this format. Maybe there does have to be more sticky threats, more Spawn of Mayhem type setups where the game just ends. Because if you let it stretch out against these Simic decks and against Azorius as well, now that they have Elspeth Conqueror's Death into Narset setups, they do a pretty good job of just invalidating everything you're doing. Your Castle Lockdwains aren't going to get anywhere near the value they used to against that deck with the return of Narset. So it just feels like everything does a much better job of getting bigger than you. So much like the mono white deck, it's time for a retool. Let's see if we can make this deck a little bit more disruptive slash aggressive. We talked a bit about agonizing remorse. I do think like that continues to be an important part of the equation, but there's got to be a clock that's coming with agonizing remorse. And that's where I would start a rebuild of mono black right now. Yeah. And it's tough too, because that card costs two mana, which really right. disrupts what important you're spot on the you curve know. uh also you yeah. can just lock lock the on their turn and it's not that big of a deal against narset but okay yeah yeah that's true i've i've definitely activated that card main phase a, a million times you know so like it, it does matter in that you can't find a threat immediately and play it out and it gives them more card advantage to fight through your middling discard stuff. But uh, Nightmare Shepherd was pretty good against them, basically just like forcing them to have Wrath on a certain turn. And I think if you're playing against a deck like Simic that can't really interact with your board, you're you're in a pretty good spot because they can't do anything against like the Sacrifice Engine, the Nightmare Shepherd, 
value and then eventually you're just going to gray merchant them too, uh, unless they just gain a bunch of life with like Uru and, and Krasis. But I think it has potential. I don't know. I also think that it's got a bunch of good removal. And like I said, the red one drops kind of stink. Uh, so it's pretty difficult for them to actually get under mono black. And then you have mm-hmm. gray merchant at the top end. Obviously you have to still worry about getting cleaved and everything, but uh, yeah, mono black is another one of those decks that I think, could still exist in this format, does need a retool, might be easier to retool than mono white because you're not necessarily caught in the same squeeze. I can buy that. And then the other deck that I, th- I think is coming up and I think is good is Team of Reclamation. And I know I say this uh, a decent amount and then I actually play with the deck and I'm like, wow, this this deck stinks. Oh, we, we all say this. Every single one of us has done this over the past six months where we believed Team of Reclamation to be the next big thing. No, but it got- it got but like, this time, it got like, this time it's different. It got like five new cards and the, the games just play out differently now where you are not Yes. Hard locked into having a reclamation survive in order to win. You have things like Storm's Wrath that plays defense mm-hmm. pretty well. You have uh, Thos's intervention, right? Yep. Yeah, they're all interventions. Uh, that that's you know counterspell or draw to or dig through time. You know, depending on. What Huge you get. That's the big get for this deck, in my experience. It has made a very large difference. It is very big. I agree. So, like, you get a sweeper, you get counterspell card drawing, split card. People are still playing four expansion explosion, which I don't like. I feel like you can just trim on that number now. Okay. And you still have, like, the explore creatures, too, that give you a lot of ways to use your mana early. You have incidental threats. Uh, Expansion Explosion will close out a game eventually, so you don't really care about how big your opponent's getting. And even things just like Omen of Thassa, right? It just like smooths out your draw so much, gives you a bunch of stuff to use excess mana on. You don't need to play four copies of Chemist's Insight because that card stinks. Uh, So this, this deck got a lot, and it looks really good now. Yeah, good little pickups across the board. And like you mentioned, I don't think decks are really set up well to attack this presently not yet uh the enchantment hate is trending down for sure we see less of that than we were seeing previously it used to be every deck started with thrashing brontodon and there are a bunch of main deck thrashing brontodons and i will note that that's trending down but like you mentioned you can just play a decent game in the absence of your reclamations and having a real counter spell that isn't like this huge cost to your deck Big, big game changer. I like this deck too. I played some games with it on ladder. I did very well. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is when we come back next week, this will be the thing where we were saying, oh, this should have just been a tier one deck because it was absolutely poised to break out. It wouldn't shock me at all if it had a big weekend in Richmond. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think we're going to look back and be like, oh, obviously this should have been tier one the entire time because if the format were a little different, obviously a deck like this would not be super good. You know, if, if, mono black for example did play a bunch of discard or whatever and had the right tools or maybe they have a splash for some amount of disenchance or good disruption you know like you can definitely see how even with the new pickups things could go south for this deck right and i i think that that is going to stay true i think that this is just a metagame thing right now basically like there's not a ton of hyper regression and this is a deck that can actually compete with Simic and Azorius. So that's why it's there. There's an interesting point to be made about when a deck can actually be tier one. And I wonder if the definition, because 
That's a very nebulous term, right? Like we don't actually have a set definition of what tier one means, despite the fact that we throw it out there all the time. And we're all just supposed to assume we're on the same page when we're talking about a tier one deck. But I wonder if a better definition is just a deck that will always have the capability to adapt to any given metagame and has the shifts that no matter what is going on elsewhere, this will always be a thing. And you think about the decks we're talking about now, it certainly feels like blue-white Simic really, really have that capability. No matter what else is going on, there are packages they can look at to just be dominant because their power level is so high. And I think Mono Red squeezes into that same place, just given how many different ways you can build that deck too. Kind of, although I do feel like if there was a lot of like Fires of Invention, Mono Black, Mono White, stuff like that, then Mono Red would not be very good. I think it would be difficult for that deck to find a configuration that would be successful against all those sorts of decks, but... You don't think you can just go big with like Ember Cleave and huge creatures and that holds up pretty well against a bunch of those strategies? Well, are are you talking about, you know, like Mono Red just encapsulating all flavors of Rakdos or Gruul also? Because if that's the case, then sure. You know, if you're talking about you know, yeah, I, I guess that's nebulous as well, right? Like you have to define where mono red stops and where other decks start. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, there, there is space for some sort of aggressive deck, which we're kind of talking about in the vein of mono white, mono black, the sacrifice decks, mono red aggro. Like one of those decks is going to find a way to be successful. I agree with that. Uh, but it's, it's going to vary week to week, Yeah, you know? Maybe Whereas, the statement should be an, an Embercleave deck will always be tier one. Maybe that's right. better than saying mono red. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of what I like as far as defining the format by polls. It's like right. you know, it's anywhere from like two to five cards where if you don't have one of these cards in your deck, you are likely doing something wrong. And Embercleave in this standard format definitely fits on in that bucket, you know? Sure. Sure. Azorius and Simic both have a reasonable semi-proactive game plan and they have tools to fight whatever their opponents are doing, you know, whether it's just naturally going over the top of your opponent like Simic or in the case of Azorius, you have things like Banishing Light to Fairy, Shatter the Sky, etc. You have actual direct answers and you have what is actually just a good control deck. These decks are going to be tier one, I think, for the entirety because of the cards available, how they're set up and what the rest of the format looks like. So I don't know, to me, tier lists just change every week, right? Or like every day, however often you want to actually update them. It is never set in stone. Everything is always changing. Like I can give you a deck list on Wednesday or Thursday and by Saturday, I'm going to want to change 10 cards. You know, that's just how it is. You you should be getting more information and adapting all of your mental models for all of these things always. That's what makes magic so great. All this stuff always changing. Exactly. That is why I'm never bored. All right. Move on to modern, I suppose. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little modern. It's been a minute since we talked modern on this year podcast. Yeah. My seat. So for folks who have SCG Premium and have been reading my articles. A couple weeks ago, I wrote about Bant Stone Blade, and this was the weekend before or the week before GP Austin, and I had already left at that point. I've been away from home for about a month, and this was basically the only deck that I packed and brought with me 
for this open because I was like, look, it's good against ramp. It's good against Urza. I'm sold. Those like things aren't going to change between then because Urza and the ramp decks are kind of like Simic and Azorius and standard, right? Like they're just going to be tier one. And I just thought I was going to play Bant. I was like locking in a month early. And then someone brought up the fact that like, yo, you realize Oko could just get banned, right? And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's probably going to happen, right? Uh, <laughs> so after Austin, Oko got banned and now I don't have a deck, but yeah, that's, that's what I was going to play. And now because things got banned, everything's a lot different and there's just a lot of primeval Titan and a lot of goblin guide. And that's basically it, or maybe not goblin guide. Swift spear is a better example. This, this one's easy, Jerry, just like modern has been easy for the last six months when eh, probably about six months ago, I told you to play Urza until they took it away from you. They have now taken it away from you, so you have never to played go it. back to the drawing board. I never played you it, and, and Urza is still fine. It is still playable. It, it is still fine. That is that is true. We'll get to that in a moment. But I do have a new rule presently, and it's a rule I've been waiting for for quite some time. <laughs> I will now be playing Primeval Titan until they take it away from me. And maybe for the first time since I purchased all my foily Primeval Titan accoutrements, I am starting to get a little bit concerned because these decks have gotten so, so, so much better over the last three sets. And meanwhile, everything around them, everything around them just gets banned constantly. Like everything else that's good is just gone, leaving the format. And every set, there is a groundbreaking new card for Primeval Titan strategies. You go back to M20, you get Field of the Dead. Okay, well, that card completely changes the way you can play matches of magic. Then we head into Throne of Eldraine and we get once upon a time. Oh my God, I always have a Titan now and I'm always making my land drop. Sounds good. And now we head into Theros Beyond Death and Dryad of the Elysian Grove is here and we just get to be a Valakut deck too. Every single time we play Primeval Titan and we get to play good spells on top of it, we don't have to play the garbage green red ramp spells. So things have gotten truly out of control for my good friend Primeval Titan Play it till they take it away from you, Gerald. That's it. Dude, Dryad is, is silly. Why would you print Summoner's Pactable Prismatic Omen? You sound like my casting partner, Greg Kremples, who is eternally baffled by the cards that show up in Modern. And I'm right there with you. This is a wild one. It so clearly slots into every deck that has ever wanted to play Primeval Titan. Talk to me a little bit about how this changes game planning for these decks, because it's an obvious power upgrade. It's nice to just be able to combo your opponent out of nowhere. But talk about how it lets you change your approach to certain matchups. Well, I mean, what what deck are we talking about? Are we talking about normal Velikid? Are we talking about the Simic decks? Are we talking about Amulet? I mean, it, it basically fits into every single one of these. And you are going to see the numbers of Azusa going lower and lower. I know that uh, some folks are playing four of each in Amulet. I don't think that that is particularly correct, but... Yeah, Dryad uh, turns everything into all basic land types, which then turns on your Valakuts so you don't have to play any mountains and you're playing four of this card and it has four toughness so you can't bolt it and you have a bunch of Summoner's Packs and Teleria West and stuff like that. So even if they do kill it and take you off of Valakut for a turn or two, it doesn't really matter. You'll find another one and then at that point you're set up probably to make multiple land drops in a turn and just fireball them out. But even in the meantime, you can just go back to making zombies. It's fine. It's so wild that Amulet Titan has somehow become like 
both the best combo deck and the best control deck in the entire format. And it's so good at being the control deck that it's just given up on being the hard combo version. Like you're mostly seeing Sun Home leave lists at this point because you don't need to double strike kill someone. You can just put together a hundred different kills. It doesn't really matter how the game ends if you're going to eventually end it. And maybe someone can punish that along the road. Maybe we can get to a place where letting your opponent untap is problematic. There's some kind of combo kill such as Storm that comes back into the format. But right now that does not exist. and. It's just such a strategic wealth of options you have as to how you're going to play every single game you are involved in when you have Primeval Titan in your deck. Well, it's funny because virtual kills are generally pretty good or they were pretty good for a while because the Urza decks got more fair. They weren't playing a combo kill, but now they kind of have to go back to Thopter Foundry and that sort of thing. That is true. So that is true. That could be a thing that happens. And now that the mirrors have Valakuts, just getting Titan Field, bunch of zombies is also not necessarily good against them because they might just Valakut combo kill you. So it is kind of weird, but for the most part, I would expect Amulet to hopefully be doing its thing like a turn earlier or at least be able to turn the corner a little bit faster because they still have Handwear Battlements uh, to give like Titan Haste and everything. So right. I, w- I would expect them to, you know, if, if you're even if your opponent plays Primeval Titan and they're like, oh, I'm going to set up Valakut or whatever, you might just be like, well, I'm going to lethal you or set up definite kill next turn no matter what you do. And then the onus is on them to then deal you 20 some damage or whatever. You could also do things like gain life with uh, Radiant Fountain or whatever. So I think it's possible that since Amulet is a little bit more explosive, it might not matter, but uh, it definitely could come back to bite you. Why don't you talk about the list that you were playing this weekend? Because you're not playing Amulet. You have another list in mind. I have it all sleeved up for you, ready to go. It's like 92% shiny with all these new cards coming out. It's hard to keep up with these foils. And I'm also like $5,000 in the hole from all these Okos anyway. So I got to take some time to recoup my finances. But I mean, if, dude, if you spent 5000 It's a nice looking deck. If you spent $5,000 on Okos, you deserve to lose that money. <laughs> Uh, I didn't spend no. 5000 I I legitimately lost $1,000, though, between Foil Mox Opals and Foil Okos over the course of yes. just a few weeks. So Yeah, the, the Opals, I mean, it's, it's, it's always so weird, right? Because the card went unbanned for years, even after people were like, hey, this is a problem. And they're just like, nope, this is a fixture of modern. But they banned that instead of Urza because Urza's from Modern Horizons, presumably. I don't know. So yeah, so yeah, I know. Like, there's no way that you didn't think that that card was safe, you know, Uh, at least for a while, anyway. But uh, my condolences, uh, less so to you, and more to everyone else out there who had Mox Opals. Agreed. I care way more about everyone else than me. But you still have that complaint equity, so you know, it's all good. Right. Uh, My deck is basically just Simic. Again, if you've been following my articles, and I don't know what what else I did on this, like. Talked about it on in Discord a little bit. Wrote up a sideboarding guide for the old version. We'll probably have to update that. My list is still a little bit different than folks. Uh, I built this deck trying to turn three Titan people, and then at some point, people were like, "Eh, whatever. Let's just try and turn for them, maybe." And they're only playing four one drops, and they're playing Sakura Tribe Elder, which is. Pretty bad for a bunch of different reasons. One is that Ashiok is a fairly common 
sideboard card and does not do very well against that card. And then you also run into instances where you can't necessarily produce a bunch of different land types for Field of the Dead because you draw a bunch of like Misties and Tribelders and things that just like get basic lands, you know? Uh, so right. Tribe Scout, Grazer, now Dried of the Elysian Grove. I had Azusa, but Dried's way better. And Primeval Titan and a couple copies of Our Promise uh, just to up the threat density. And for the games where you get to have five mana on turn three and you don't have a Castle Garen Brig, this gives you another thing to do on turn three that's really almost as powers, powerful as Primeval Titan because you set up Field of the Dead or if you have Dryad, you set up Valakit, whatever. So it ends up usually killing them just the same. I guess, yeah, Explore, Summoner's Pact, Once Upon a Time, a bunch of lands. Like, nothing nothing wild, no Uros, no Pact of Negation, and just a bunch of good utility lands that have different names. That's how powerful Field of the Dead and now Valakut <laughs> are. They allow you to just have all your meaningful spells in your mana base. It makes deck building kind of easy, quite frankly. This is why I start to get concerned about the longevity of these approaches is... 30 land modern decks is not something I ever thought I would see. But here we are, and something has to step up to punish it. I like that you mentioned Urza as a potential way to do so. Do you want to talk a little bit about how these decks are being built now? Because I I think this is actually real interesting. And you'll certainly lack some of the explosiveness of the previous Urza builds. But in a lot of ways, you've picked up some other options as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of back to the drawing board because... You don't have Oko to lean on. So I would say most folks are moving away from Cryptic Command and just kind kind of going back to the old versions with Goblin Engineer or Stoneforge Mystic. Some of them have Emery. You don't have Mox Opal. So some people are trying to like make Mox Amber happen. Basically, uh, War of Invention is is back in flavor and so is Thopter Foundry. And then there are always a few flex slots in the deck. Like people have uh, Everflowing Chalice, Pentad Prism, Mindstone, stuff like that to make the deck a little bit faster. And then some people play combo kills, some people don't. I think at this point you kind of have to. I was actually just looking at Paradox Engine today where it's like, this is kind of infinite with Urza, but not really. You know, like you need to actually hit enough spells and not lands, but it could be an easy enough kill or like pseudo kill. But otherwise, you can play a uh, time sieve to go along with Thopper Foundry Sword of the Meek. That's kind of too much of a setup or uh, a way to actually kill your opponent once you have. I mean, I guess Ursa Thopper Foundry Sword of the Meek basically just beats the, the Valakut decks anyway. Like they can make zombies and valicate you or whatever but infinite life just beats them so maybe you don't need a thing on top of that you kind of do for mirror matches mm-hmm. like spine of aisha or uh time sieve or something but yeah i would just be doing that and trying to combo people probably one of the builds i really like is actually the demir build because we talked about a 30 land deck and you being deprived of threats in your 30 land deck is fine if you are given time and you will eventually outgrind anyone who's thought seizing your first Titan anyway. I do think there is some merit though to just having counter magic. We're seeing Archmage's Charm work its way into this deck. And this is something that I started to see on Magic Online over the past week, a lot more Demure Wurza. And I like the look of this deck quite a bit for the present format. You also mentioned there's a bunch of prowess around. Getting Fatal Pushback is a big deal for this deck as well. So 
personally, I would be leaning towards Demir if I was playing some Urza this weekend. But like I said, I'm on I'm on Team Titan until they take it away from me at this point. Yeah, I'm going to do that too. Right now, I don't have a Blast Zone main deck. And maybe that's wrong because I, I do think that it solves a decent amount of problems. But Ghost Quarter, Radiant Fountain, Bajuka Bog seem more important. And I went down on a Cavern of Souls. Maybe that's also wrong because I think that a lot of the amulet lists still only have like one cavern of souls too. And it's, it's just the easiest way for people to be used to like counter your one big spell. And then maybe you don't right. naturally feel of the dead anyone or whatever. So I think just having a bunch of caverns is probably pretty good. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll cut off fetch lane for a cavern, pack an extra cavern for me. You got it. It's wild that you have 30 lands in your main deck and you can't find room for all the lands you want to play. <laughs> That's how good the lands are in modern. Well, a lot of people started cutting the Karoos and not playing like Tribe Scout and Azusa. And I just, nah. I think it's silly because the the Karoos are basically a divination, right? Like they are yep. what allow you to mulligan and still get to six mana and draw a bunch of things like Tribe Scouts and Dryads that only ramp you if you have additional lands. So... I, I think the careers are great. Yeah. When I was playing a lot of the blue green versions, I actually was on board with a fifth crew. Whereas most, I mean, a lot of decks only have two. You were stopping at four. I even thought a fifth one makes a lot of sense. Maybe it's just my amulet Titan biases showing and being used to just playing with a ton of crews. But I agree with all the reasons you're saying it's so important. You basically can't mulligan successfully until you have crews in your hand and you have to turn on all these enablers if you're going to play them your goal of ramping immediately with one drops makes a lot of sense to me and i think that also necessitates a higher crew count so particularly with the way you've built your deck i agree with you crew count has to remain at least at four if not higher yeah i i, I have 30 land right now i think and i would be fine with a 31st i would certainly be fine with a fifth crew the the problem is like how many turn one green sources is enough when you want to play Tribe Scout and Arboreal Grazer on turn one. And then you have right. the Valakits and the Field of the Deads, which are basically your win conditions. And then you have the Utility Lands. So at that point, you're kind of like strapped for slots. I, ha- I have a Teleria West too, which I think is pretty important to be able to transmute for Summoner's Pact and you know turn a, a Titan into a Titan Chain. So mm-hmm. I kind of like... All the utility lands I have now, I have 13 turn one untapped green sources counting Cavernous Souls because you can just Cavernous Soul Shaman or whatever and then pick it back up with a Karoo later, which is cool. Maybe I could go one lower. If nothing else, I can certainly cut a fetch land for a Cavern of Souls, but then to get the other Karoo in, what would what would you recommend? It's probably just moving one of the utility lands to the sideboard. And I do think that is worthy of consideration just having a lot of your sideboard being taken up by these utility lands it's something that i want to give zach allen credit for being one of the first ones to go really hard i remember he did particularly well maybe even one in scg with amulet where his sideboard was just five or six lands which was an approach i hadn't really seen anyone take before i thought he did a really nice job of maximizing his sideboard by being like okay i can tutor all these cards let's find the best ones and make sure i have access to all of them so it's probably a sideboard slot from or a, a swap to the sideboard for one of your otherwise main deck hate cards right now. No, I something feel, like Radiant Fountain. No, dude, there, there's comes to mind. There's too much burn. Uh, I don't think Radiant Fountain can go. I you could make an argument for Ghost Quarter, but I think it's too good in mirror matches. It's too good 
against things like Tron. I, I'd also be fine with a second one in the sideboard. Maybe, <laughs> maybe just bring an extra four lands for me or whatever. I, I I forgot I had a gemstone caverns in my sideboard or in my main deck, so I can I can cut that for a, a crew. Okay, that wasn't in the list you sent me. Ooh, so I didn't pack you a gemstone caverns. Did I not play that on Moto? Maybe not. I don't think so. That's probably why I never got to lucky counter anyone. I keep trying to like, yeah, I, I guess so. I keep trying to try this card, but like, it doesn't really make sense in a lot of the curves. But it's like, oh, it's it's a it's a free ramp spell, right? And you have the Caroos to make up for the card advantage loss and everything. Like, maybe this is good, and I think it might be good, honestly. But when when we're talking about how important each land slot is, it it probably just doesn't fit. Yeah, asking yourself to get lucky to get the benefit of a card doesn't seem like what you want to do when your deck is really built for consistency and just being able to find every piece. This is the one time where you're like, ah, I'm just going to leave it to chance and hope I draw this. Well, no, it's just like you if you have it, cool. You get a free ram from it, you know? I, I don't think you're like leaving right, on but it. I, I do think you could build the deck no, in a no. different way. I just think like fundamentally what the deck is trying to accomplish is like, I shouldn't say fundamentally. I think from a goal standpoint like you just want the most consistent thing possible all you're trying to do is set up these tutor packages and like have outs to everything and this is the one instance where you're like okay i will give up some agency and just let fate decide what happens as to whether i get this benefit or not where every other benefit is something you could play towards i so i i don't see it like that because you're not leaning on it at any point right and if it does come up it does happen in theory it's supposed to be good i'm not even convinced that it's good if it does happen because it doesn't <laughs> right. fit into any of your curves, right? It, it could be like a fake Garen Brig, I suppose. Like you just do your normal thing, except you set aside these two cards to have an extra mana on turn three. But then it's like, well, why aren't you just playing Simeon Spirit Guide or whatever? And it's like, okay, fine. Yeah, maybe I should just be playing Simeon Spirit Guide. I don't know. Oh, now we've gone completely off the rails. So somehow Simeon Spirit Guide has crept in. Uh, I think I cut the Gemstone Caverns at the last second for the Waterlogged Grove, but the Waterlogged Grove has been awesome. Yeah, I liked Waterlogged Grove in my blue-green list. People keep cutting that too. Just absurd. I don't know, whatever. It's all your mana, I'll figure it out. It, free cards. Bring, bring me a bunch of cards. I, I played I played one league like four days ago. I went 5-0-10-0. The games were not particularly close. And I'm just like, yeah, this deck's busted. Let's do it. Easy game. Yeah. In, in the meantime, uh, <laughs> I, I was working on a bunch of different aux of Agonis decks for modern. And uh, it, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I think I broke it like three different times, but I'm not actually sure. Mm. And then I play uh, a league with a deck that is actually busted. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is like legitimately good, right? And yes, maybe... Burning Inquiry Dredge is very good or something, but then again, my deck has main deck Bajukabog, you know, and everyone is going to be tightening for Bajukabog, right. so do I really want to go there? And the answer is not really. But regardless, uh, once once the format shifts again, I got I got some other stuff in my back pocket, and that article is is coming out this week, uh, probably dropping the same day this podcast does, so check that out if you want a bunch of Ox of Agonis brews. You just wait for the next round of bands, and then there's sure to be the top top thing you can do in the format. Well, how many modern tournaments are there? You know, and like they're all team tournament stuff too. The the pro tours are pioneer now. I think it's it's going to be a while before anything gets banned in modern. Fingers crossed that that is the case, because I would like to use my titans before before they get banned. I feel like 
I've lent it. I've lent out my foil Titan deck more than I've played it without question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not close. That, I mean, that's, that's why I just think that this is delightful. So uh, for context, I went to Vancouver after I left Seattle and then I went to Europe and I've been in Europe and then I'm flying to DC and driving down to Richmond with Josh Cho. And that's, that's why I only packed like the one deck, but realistically I, I packed two decks and I loaned my copy of Ramp to Jeff Fung so he could play it in some local tournament and he ended up not playing the deck. Uh, so I'm trying to have him mail it to Josh Cho. And he said, he said it's in the mail. He said it's going to get there on time. Regardless, I, I think I'm just going to play your deck as long as it's, it. I mean, I guess you're going to have like the super giant sleeves, right? It's, it's just going to feel like a 300 card deck or something. It is double sleeved KMC hards on the inside as we do. Yeah, the hearts, man. The, the hearts I can't take. But All right. I, I, you might I, have I to have do. a non-shiny version then. No, I mean, I, I so I want to play your deck because you know you spent all of the time collecting these cards and everything, and I would like to have someone enjoy them. You know, me too. Might as well be <laughs> That's me. all I want from these cards before they all get banned. Like I don't think the full art foil Okos were ever played. This deck has the full art foil Once Upon a Times, full art foil Castle Garenbrig. Like all this stuff has to see some run before it gets booted. Dude, Garenbrig is is just nice. That's just a smart investment because I think that just goes in like every green commander deck ever, right? I will take your word on that. I think that that's just a, a smart investment. Good. Well, I mean, one of them has to be smart. If you just buy everything, eventually you'll make a smart investment. Well, right? that's how yeah, it works. That's true. I mean, I, I try and not blow it. <laughs> also, I still have like 50 Cavalier of Thorns in my house. Now's the time. Those are climbing and you might actually do better than I did because uh, the hype radar is off the charts right now. Yeah, I saw their buy listing for 15 or for okay. 10. Sorry, their buy listing yeah. for 10 at some event last weekend. What was last weekend? Uh, GP, right? Yeah. yeah, GP Jersey. I saw that as well. Uh, I moved mine at 10. So I hope you were able to eventually secure the same fate for yours. They make go I mean, way higher than that, honestly. They like it, it. Basically, it is the core of ramp at this point. Every single ramp deck plays four Cavalier of Thorns. It's very yeah. challenging to build without it. So at, at first, it was because of Pioneer. That's why it kind of started popping off online. And mm-hmm. now it's like, oh, yeah, it's just back to seeing play in standard because of Uro. So that's good for me. So we'll see. Yeah, nobody liked this card. Can you believe that? Some cards yeah. you look back on and you're like, what was going on? Yeah, so the, the top 10 episode we did, you were, you like, had to sell me on this card, but I came around, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. But it, it is just one of those cards where it's like, yeah, it does a bunch of stuff. I just don't really see where it fits, you know? And then you, you helped me see the light. If you do enough stuff, you'll eventually find a home. That's basically <laughs> magic in 2019. Just do a bunch of stuff. We'll figure out all the other things around you. Yeah, dude, that's fair. That is fair. Other than ramp decks, we have a bunch of burn decks, a lot of burn decks. Yeah, makes sense. I th- I think like your burn matchup is okay as a ramp deck. No one's going completely off the rails, dedicating themselves to beating ramp at this point. Like you said, you could just load up on Radiant Fountains. I don't think that's a bad idea if this is what you're concerned about. Like they can beat the first Radiant Fountain a bunch of times. You have a second one though, it gets much, much harder. Yeah, I mean that... that- that increases the consistency of which you draw it or find it. Uh, obviously, the more Karoos you have, the better also. But mm-hmm. 
just having Grazer and now the 2-4 body on Dryad instead of the crappy 1-2 from Azusa, like you, right. you just have a bunch of brick walls too. It's just so hard for them to actually kill you. Goblin Guide has gotten much worse. I will say that uh, with all these Arboreal Grazers running around. I mean, why do you think there is so much of this deck right now given because the other clear pillar is ramp. There's ramp everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Swiss Spear version is scarier, right? Because they play a combo-y sure. uh, game plan. And I've seen a lot of those decks integrate Kiln Fiend and stuff like that. So right. uh, Niv Magus Elemental is actually putting up a, a decent amount of 5 O's also. Shout out Just to Just a matter of time, baby. Just a matter of time. My 10,000 Niv Magus Elementals will lead to my early retirement. No, they won't. No, they just a matter of time. You need to sell them like round three of that pro tour. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> round three was actually the exact right time because everything fell apart by round four. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, a lot a lot of people are burning, folks. A lot of different versions. I would recommend something that is a little bit more combo killy and not nickel and dimey, not goblin guide, just because that does not line up very well in a lot of different spots, and then. Urza is still a fine choice. Uh, any sort of mid-range deck is not great because of how many Primeval Titans there are. And if you can find a reasonable combo deck, something like Storm, maybe Ad Nauseam, I still think Neobrand is quite good. I think any any sort of deck like that would be a good choice. Or, I mean, at least for like a 10 or 15% ramp meta, right? You still have to deal with everyone else and it's modern, so it's going to be wide open. You can't really make hard reads, but if you think like, hey, Storm is pretty good, plus it has a good ramp matchup, then great. Agree with your assessment. Uh, but yeah, Primeval Titan Bros for Life, I think is is what we're up to right now. Play it till they take it away, baby. I mean, they might take it away like one piece at a time, right? Like they're going to take Once Upon a Time and then... Uh, feel the dead or whatever. It'll just be like standard. Yeah, they're just figuring out what I spent the most money on and going after that one card at a time. I'm pretty sure it's the banning strategy. Yeah, whatever. That'll that'll learn you. Just don't spend money on their products, clearly. Mox is being banned in vintage just a matter <laughs> of time now. Okay. Main attraction time. We could Let's talk about it. Pioneer, but we could talk about vintage too. It's up to you. No, <laughs> nobody wants to hear us talk about vintage. I promise you that. So this weekend, we have an RPT in Nagoya and Brussels. I am leaving Europe the day Brussels starts, which is very smart because I have to go play Richmond. Uh, so don't get to hang out at that event. I believe I will be in Phoenix a week later, which is the North Amer- or the American version, I guess, of... Uh, this this RPT, I don't know. I, I think we could talk about organized play and the RPT itself and whether or not this is going to be different or not. But I think we probably just have to wait and see Yes. what the feel is like from the players. Does this actually feel like a pro tour? Are people buckling down and getting big testing teams for this? Are they taking it? as seriously as they would a regular pro tour is there going to be secret tech i don't know i also don't know and certainly it feels a little bit more loose on twitter and in conversations and people sharing their testing more and less of like the big teams coming together at least 
forward facing. Maybe it's still happening behind the scenes and we're just not getting a whiff of it. That will become clear as we head into this event. And it's really up to OP as to how this is received. If it's made to have the gravitas of a pro tour, then I think this can be a big success. Uh, if it feels like a cobbled together event, it's a, it's a sad day for magic. I love the pro tour system. It inspired a lot of the path of my life trying to qualify for pro tours. And I met a bunch of great people that way. I and don't me. know if the current system is achieving that goal. And you, of course. Uh, I don't know if the current system is achieving those goals. I hope it is. And I hope it's on the direction towards achieving those goals. But like you said, I'm taking a wait and see attitude. I, I want to get a sense of how these events go. I want to see what coverage looks like. Uh, all those things are going to be important. And then we'll come back next week and we'll give our reviews of it. Yeah, that sounds good. I I mean, I feel like if I come away with a negative take or like all these people have a negative take, then... I'm just going to feel like magic is dying or whatever. And I, I hope that that's not the case either way, but we'll see. Uh, magic for better or worse is bigger than OP. And oh, it Pro is. Tour, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, magic will not die. However, it will be very sad for, I would imagine the vast majority of listeners uh, of this podcast, which we cater yes. to, you know, the, yes. these are our people. This is our family. And they want to interact with magic in a fun and positive, mostly competitive way, I would imagine. And if, if they're just, you know, not getting the right sort of things from the company that makes the game and makes these decisions, then that sucks. That's a big letdown. But yeah, there's always things like magic online arena, local tournaments, Twitch rivals type of stuff, you know? SCG2, obviously. So yeah, we'll see. Anyway, uh, Pioneer itself. Dude, do you know how weird my mono black aggro deck has gotten? Please tell me. I would love to hear about your mono black aggro deck because we're not doing a tier list, but I would certainly have mono black aggro in my tier one. I think it's unquestionably one of the best decks still in the format. Yeah, there's, there's a longer story to that, certainly. But right now... The format is in such a place where I need to do things like play Liliana's Triumph and Plague Crafter and Shadow Spear. Okay. Why are we doing that presently? Because this five-color Niv-Mizzet deck is just crushing it. This deck's wild. And we probably should have seen it coming given how much success it had in modern, at a very, very turbulent time in modern's history, this deck was putting up some pretty impressive results. And it didn't all pour it over, obviously. A huge portion of the mana base in Arkham's Astrolabe being lost matters a bunch. But there is no question that in big card pools, Niv-Mizzet really shines, especially when you take away some of the more broken combo-y type stuff. This is a mid-range killer for sure. So when stuff got banned the last time, the format became effectively a bunch of aggressive decks. It was mono and two-color aggro, and it didn't seem like anything could really stop these decks, especially since they were all kind of coming at you from different angles. And Azorius Control did pretty well. But then this Niv deck got popular and you know incorporated things like Sylvan Karyatid and Siege Rhino and did just become the aggro killer. And I think it has done a very, very good job of doing that. And in... 
the process of that happening, they just ended up with a bunch of Hexproof stuff. Sylvan Caryatid, Paradise Druid, and then uh, is it in Soul kind of popped up as an aggro deck that could fight the Niv deck because you just get to get under it and you have these indestructible threats on your own. So yeah, edicts just are pretty good right now. And they're not great. You know, they're not well-costed for the format. It's not like you get to play Liliana the Veil or whatever. Like, you have to work for it. And I don't think that they are particularly good in your main deck or anything. But it's just kind of a thing that you have to do now. Makes a lot of sense to me. I want to divert us for a second. This isn't at all useful, but it's just popped into my mind and I can't help myself. We spent years thinking about, like, Diabolic Edict being too good for reprinting. That was the assumption we were all under. I I don't know why, because it came into standard, did basically nothing. And now you're shocked to see Liliana's Triumph get some play in Pioneer. And I understand why. That's an effect that doesn't really feel like the power has kept up on it. Is Innocent Blood also too good for like present magic? I mean, who knows, right? Like (laughs) uh, I would I would say for like any sort of control deck or you know, mid-range deck that has like young pyromancer or a bunch of sacrificial fodder, that it would be great. But I don't. I don't think it's busted or anything. It's just any. Yeah, it, it just seems like good and interesting, actually. Yeah. So we were we were coming from different times, right? Where it's like, oh well, maybe your opponent doesn't have a one drop. Maybe they don't have a two drop, and then they play Rotting Regisaur or whatever. And you just kill it for two mana, and that's too good. And, and now it's just like, well, we have Ultimate Price, we have Cast Down, we have all these different two mana options. We have Fatal Push too. Uh, even Red has things like roast and lava coil you know so like two mana removal is just kind of whatever at this point like two mana you're you're probably going to be able to figure out a thing that kills most of the things in the format like 90 percent of the things yeah no i I think that makes sense and the the decks now certainly start earlier and they don't run out of gas as easily it's not like oh i was able to diabolic edict their their big threat and that was it that was all they had it's like no i mean now now they just start playing nisses and stuff like now you're just dead so yeah times times have definitely changed where it's like oh can we reprint diabolic edict well what about this strictly better diabolic edict and just no one plays it you know so yeah the the more three inspectors they print too like the worse cards like that get and the more ornithopteries play etc Sure. Yeah. The, the more we talk about this, the more I'm just on team reprint Innocent Blood. I think it's interesting. Wizards, this one's free. Reprint Innocent Blood. It'll be good. It'll be good for magic at large. I'm sure of it. I guarantee it. It's a risky thing to do. Yeah. The, so the other thing I've, I've wanted to do is uh, play Lifebane Zombie because it it tags all the stuff in, in Niv, including <laughs> yeah. Niv itself. But now things, things are changing. Uh, we have this... Demir Splinter Twin, that's a stretch, but uh, Demir Inverter of Truths combo control deck. Certainly you've seen this thing. Oh yeah, and this deck is 100% the truth. The spells being played in this deck- The Inverter of Truth? Are good. Okay, besides Inverter of Truth, the spells being played in this deck are good. Although I will say, like finding games that you can win with an Inverter of Truth feels Really, really nice. Like just going on the beatdown Inverter of Truth plan. Very, very cool thing to do. I don't think it happens all that often, but regardless, if you haven't seen this deck, go check out basically any Magic Online results. This deck has been all over the place. Tons of people tweeting about it. Tons of people iterating on it. The spell quality of this deck, off the charts. Like basically better than just about any deck in Pioneer. 
and you just have an I win button. And that's exactly what I'm looking for going into a PT. Now it's been around for a week and a half, two weeks or so. And it is certainly part of the consciousness at this point. I think a bunch of people will play it at this PT. I think it will do fine, but there's certainly going to be some accounting for it. Although it's, it's a hard strategy to just be like, okay, here's what I'm doing to hate on this deck. Because like I said, it's just playing really good quality spells. Yeah, I mean, you basically just play a control game with you know, Fatal Push and Dig Through Time and Thought Seize and find a way yep. to kill your opponent eventually. And in the meantime, you know, Thassa's Oracle, Inverter of Truth, they're not they're not great cards, right? But like Jace is a fine card, Wielder of Mysteries. And you obviously have access to a lot of cheap interaction in your sideboard and everything. And if people just try and load up on things that kill your combo, like this is the same thing with Splinter Twins, same thing with Felidar Sahili. Uh, if they just try and load up on answers, like whatever, you just outdraw and bury them. You know, it's it's really not that big of a deal. And I don't know, just realistically, like you need clock plus pressure, which is why I like mono black. And I think that it is quite right. good against a deck like this because, yeah, they have Thoughtseize, they have Push, but they don't have a ton of it. You know, and you're going to be able to stick uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, Scrap Heap Scrounger, things like that. And they're going to have real problems removing them. And if you're able to keep them off the combo for long enough, then I think eventually they're just going to fold because they don't really have the capability of taking full control. You know? Yeah, I think part of the reason for Mono Black getting some more shine recently is the existence of this deck. It does a good job of effectively attacking it. And you mentioned like opponents accounting for your combo. How do you do that? Like, like what is the way to actually, if you're just talking about interaction with the combo itself, there's no real good way to do that. The way to interact with it is kill your opponent, take the cards out of your opponent's hand slash counter them. But as soon as these cards are cast, they have achieved their effect. Yeah. I mean, it would just be like, Oh, I'm sitting on disdainful stroke or, whatever right, right? I, i'm i'm sure there's got to be something right like what are what are people doing against this losing stifle. a lot is what they're doing right now nimble obstructionist <laughs> stifle and pioneer nimble obstructionist there is nimble obstructionist yeah okay I don't, I don't know if people are doing that one but uh i guess there's like a whirlwind dismissal from the new set there you go you could do that yeah there's a bunch of goofy options that enough people aren't playing presently. So this deck seems like it's poised to have a real breakout weekend. I think the question that we really have to answer is, is something else even more under the radar about to break out? Because this deck kind of popped up out of nowhere. There's a card like Underworld Breach just sitting there begging to be broken by someone. It may have already happened in Legacy. These decks look pretty good coming out of Legacy. And I bemoaned the early Underworld Breach decks because they didn't do anything new. They weren't exciting me in any way. Now they're a potential turn one combo deck with Force of Will back up. Yeah, they're getting wild. That's different. That's exciting. They're getting wild. So that's good. Now this deck is starting to be a little scary in that space. Is there something equivalent in the Pioneer space, though? I don't know. I mean, there are certainly Underworld Breach decks. Uh, first of all, Will Urker was the one who built this deck, right? Like, I know that he's been playing it a bunch and streaming it, and I I believe... He, it's where I first saw yeah, it. Yeah, he, he was the, the person I first saw with it, and I've, I've shouted him out a couple times, like, frequent, frequent contributor to Pioneer deck lists because dude just builds rad stuff. So 
go find him on Twitter and Twitch and all that stuff. Support him. Uh, also has a YouTube channel. I'm not sure how much he actually uses it or not. I haven't checked recently, but uh, good dude. Obviously, just you know, breaking formats. We've seen a lot of people say that they've registered this deck, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then Underworld Breach, uh, Liam's been working on that a lot, and it's it seems like the deck is kind of in its optimal form. This Chronic Flooding, Hidden Strings sort of combo mm-hmm. deck, and I don't know. I guess a lot of the things that are good against Inverter are good against that deck, just like Clock Plus Disruption, right? So. Right. It, it seems like that is a deck that basically just has to combo and doesn't have any way to like backdoor win the game. Whereas the inverter deck just, I don't know, kind of gets to fast combo and play the control game. That seems almost strictly better to me. Yeah. As long as they are being pinched by the same macro strategies, it could be hard for Underworld Breach to find its footing. Maybe there's still something else to be done. I am not counting that card out in the format. And it wouldn't surprise me if someone has done it at this PT. Other stuff in the top tier that interests you? You mentioned blue-white very briefly. It still seems to be putting up results. I think that maybe its positioning has gotten a bit worse and not really by any hard targeting, which is problematic for the deck's longevity. Yeah, the the format got wide again. You know, you have things like Is It in Soul, the Niv Mizza deck, Mono Black Aggro. Now you have this uh, Demir deck. There are even things like the medium sized red deck, the the white Devotion decks. I think I like the ones with Collected Company best. And okay, then like the I want to talk more about that. Yeah, but go ahead. And then like the Underworld Breach Lotus field decks, right? Like there's just so many things to account for that I don't think. Azorius can really do that. Whereas the Demir deck is just like, well, Thoughtseize, you slow you down and then combo kill you. That just seems like a better place to be, right? Strategically speaking, yes. It's it's the difference between ending the game and letting the game go on forever, right? And we've talked a bunch on this cast about which way you generally want to lean. That's not to say I don't think there's space for a really well-built blue-white deck to shine this weekend. Uh, It's just going to take some really impressive deck building. And Now we get to circle back around to the white deck. This was the fear that everyone had at the release of Theros Beyond Death, that this combo between Heliod Suncrowned and Walking Ballista would just be too good. There was talk of preemptive banning before it even saw any play. I think this has proven to mostly be nonsense. (laughs) This is literally the format where you don't preemptively ban, right? Like, (laughs) Right. That is just what this format has been. Yeah, I mean, so you can... You can kill people on turn four uh, more and I don't know, not, not faster if you have an accelerant, right? Because you'd still need like a, a life gain thing in there. Anyway, whatever. It's, it's like a turn four kill, maybe. And even then, it's very easily disruptible. But uh, a lot of people did the smart thing where they're like, oh, I'll just build a white devotion deck that also has walking ballista in it. And if yep. my opponent taps out and I get to assemble the combo, cool. And that is perfect. That is exactly what you should be doing. Three Bin Inspector and Knight of the White Orchid already had some pedigree in things like Azorius Flash in this format. Then they lost Copter. Well, now they get Daxos and Heliod. And uh, I mean, like Charming Prince was fine, but the the versions of this deck with Collecting Company, I think are quite good. There are even some 
mono white ones that go a little bit bigger with Nick Thos and quarantine field and stuff like that. But Arcanist I, I Owl, th- yeah. Yeah. I, I think that just kind of being on the beatdown plan is better for where the format is positioned currently because you want to be clocking your opponent, make sure that you're able to pressure them while also blocking their insole artifacted thing and not getting shrapnel blasted out, or you want to be a little bit more aggressive to put pressure on Demir and the Niv-Mizzet decks and stuff like that. So I like any version of this deck that leans a little bit more aggressive and definitely one that moves away from trying super hard to assemble the combo because if you're just putting together like a turn four or turn five goldfish, why do you need to try and assemble this two card combo to kill your opponent on turn four? Like if it happens, cool, you know, but don't worry about it. Yeah. I love the power upgrade that Nykthos gives this deck. Like you are starting to do things that are pioneer power level once you utilize that card. And then, like you said, I mean, we were on this from the beginning as far as how you would leverage this combo where it was actually going to matter it had to be alongside a beatdown plan and i think that is 100 checked out you need to be able to pressure your opponent with your aggression and that will create openings for your walking ballista combo and the deck seems good tier 1.5 ish is my read on it but still a lot of room to push into tier one if people find the secret sauce put together the right mix for this pt maybe this deck takes home one of the trophies. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, Three Wind Inspector and Knight of the White Orchid are probably two of the strongest cards legal in the format that not a lot of people actually get to play with because the rest of the surrounding stuff has been fairly weak. And now that's not really the case. So I, I think they have the tools now. They have They have a full deck, basically. This is kind of what we saw happen in Standard also. And... They also get to do the thing where they're putting pressure on their opponent, which taxes removal spells and forces them to tap out in order to actually react to what you're doing. And then you have the backdoor combo kill if it ever comes up. Cool. Yeah, exactly how I want to be set up. And then uh, Todd Anderson's medium red deck looked very good for about half a week. And I think now is just kind of dying again. Easy to adapt to. Yeah, is it in Soul, uh, the Demir deck, and even like the the Lotus Storm deck to some extent all seem like they kind of farm it. I mean, you have things like Eidolon of the Great Rebel on your sideboard or Scab Clan Berserker or whatever against the actual combo decks, but against, you know, blue-black combo mid-range, like, you're dead. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I just don't know what you're supposed to do. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe you could reconfigure in post-board games. Uh, but this is a deck that's trending down. I do think it had its moment where it was an excellent choice, but the time has passed. Yeah, Glorybringer, not a great card at the moment. It was for a second. It really did shine very early on in the format. Format continues to rotate, continues to churn, uh, continues to be pretty interesting, I think. There was some concern about the focus on mono-colored decks. I don't know that I have a problem with that, and I think I'm fine with like... The variation from that being occasional two-color deck, occasional two-color deck. Oh, look, here's all the colors. Like, it's good that the best decks aren't just Abzan good stuff or Soltai good stuff. It it feels fresh to me. Yeah, kind of. The decks do feel more like decks, but I do feel like you are very limited in what you are able to do in the format. Like, if you just wanted to play like a three-color deck, you couldn't necessarily do that. And people are really jumping through hoops 
for this Niv-Mizzet deck. They're playing like seven mana creatures that add all five colors, mana confluence, 27 land, Uro, you know, like they're doing a lot of stuff just to be able to cast their spells. The thing is though, just by virtue of how magic works, you know, this is a temporary constraint. Like it's not going to last this way forever because this card pool will continue to expand and will continue to add dual lands. And at some point this will change. And I think having it start in this fashion is completely acceptable and knowing that it will expand over time gives you something to kind of look forward to. Like we don't need to reach the end state of this format at its debut. I agree, but I would like to have the options to play with the cards that are in the format, you know? What specifically do you think you're, because you can do two color stuff, right? So like you're squeezed out of three color stuff. I totally consent to that. I agree. But like, what don't you get to play because of that fact? Like what strategic options are taken away from you? Even things like Gruel is just like, okay, that that might be a good deck right now, but it feels a little gross. Yeah, certainly one of the reasons I, w- I would not want to play it is because the mana is bad. And the same thing is pretty true in standard too, where yes, Stomping Ground is great, but Temples and Fable Passage are good in you know, very small numbers. And then you have a bunch of like questing beast, Embercleave problems. So it just, it doesn't feel right to me. Like I, I thought that magic made a lot of good strides just towards making the mana better, not necessarily making it so you could like play Siege Rhino and Mantis Rider in the same deck and having it be okay. But just being like, well, if I want to put uh, a CC card in a deck with a DD card, then that's fine. You know, we can make that happen if we want to. Right. Well, I'm sure we will head in that direction as time goes on, especially given, like you said, the constraints present in standard. I don't think those will last for all of standard. I have a feeling some new dual lands probably coming down the pipeline pretty soon. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we, we basically have uh, 12 duels for each two-color thing, right? I mean, you have the Temples, the Shocklands, and Fable Passage for any two-color decks. So the mana is technically fine. You can get the amount of colored sources you want, but it does not lend itself well towards aggression, which sinks. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a pretty easy thing to keep on your radar as you're putting together sets. Like, at some point, you will want to empower those aggressive strategies, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe this is just it for Dual Lands, and Nothing exciting coming, but yeah, maybe. Uh, I would be surprised if that's the case. Um, I'm looking at some of these Heliod lists a little closer now, and I'm seeing uh, the Radiant Fountains. So they can go like Gave Elvish a Mystic. A little bit of life. Nice, yeah. Well, Elvish Mystic into Heliod into Ballista Kill You. Yep, that'll do. So that's cute. I don't know, kind of like that. Makes things worse for super aggressive Red Mages, but oh well. Yeah, you also are priced out of the aggressive white plans at that point. Like you're not doing Benelish Marshall stuff, which still seems to me like the way forward, but interesting, interesting wrinkle to throw in the mix. No, this is in the collected company version. So it certainly comes with a cost too, because they're playing like Fortified Village and Sun Petal Grove and 22 lands. Uh, so they have Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystic with 12 sources of untapped green on turn one. So like that's not going to come together a lot. There are, I don't know, like Anna Fenza is, is in this deck. They can't play Daxos because of the mana. So yeah, it comes at a cost. Right. So 
The collected company version I have been most intrigued by is one by LiDAR, so I know you're already on board with this one. It is essentially the mono white build splashing collected company. Like yeah. there's no pure green sources in the deck. Yeah. Uh, and I like the look of this list quite a bit. Yeah, me too. I, I just came across like that random one that had the elves and the raiding fountains. And I, I was just like, okay, yeah, I guess that's how you could turn three someone. But like, I'm not going to play four radiant fountains, make my mana terrible, make it way harder right. for me to cast land or elves just in general, <laughs> trying to get this turn three kill to work. It's like, just, just play Daxos, man. It's, it's so much better. I think so. Yeah. Do you think, uh, anything new is going to come from this? Uh, it does certainly seem like a lot of things are out in the open and most of the testing is getting done on magic online. I know that there were some people who were talking about like, Oh, you know, dropping it for blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think the, the format is underexplored to the point where new things could happen. And I don't know, maybe someone had the inverter deck and they're upset or whatever, because their thing kind of broke out before the tournament. But I think there's other stuff lurking that people could do. I think so too. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a breakout deck. Like I said, we just don't know the incentives. We don't know what kind of testing teams are coming together. Is it going to have the same level of scrutiny that a typical PT would? We'll check in next week and let you know. It's the only thing we can really do right now. Yeah, so I, I kind of blew it. <laughs> I just, I felt like it was necessary to talk about these things as they came up. Uh, but for for our question of the week, I wanted to do this uh, question from uh, Suname. And they asked, do you think the PTs will reveal any secret unexplored pioneer decks or tech? And I both wanted to talk about the uh, OP related things and also just like the stuff that we kind of did just talk about. So kind of jumped the gun on that. But do you think the PTs will reveal any secret unexplored pioneer decks or tech? Tech, definitely. I think that there are a lot of underutilized cards, uh, especially as the format has kind of churned a, a decent amount in the last couple of weeks where there will probably be some individual card choices that pop up. It's something like Shadow Spear, right? Where right. maybe it would have seen play just because it's like a cheap lifelinking equipment and it does reasonable things. But, you know, it, it being able to turn off Hexproof or Indestructible, I mean, I, I obviously love this card because it's good against Soul Flare. Uh, so it maybe makes it so I won't lose that deck every single time. Uh, but you know, little, four copies in every sideboard, dude, main deck, main deck. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> no, the insole decks are like playing copies of it made and stuff. It's great. Yeah. yeah something like that. That is like a, a small thing that may not have gotten a chance to get explored fully. Uh, the, the secret tech I think is probably just inverter. I don't know that anyone can really do anything bigger or more impactful than that. And I think that maybe a lot of people's tech is kind of ruined by it where it's like, oh, well, this deck would have been good, but now 20% of the field is going to play inverter or whatever. I can't really be doing this sort of slow-ish type of thing, right? So it is it is interesting based on how the format has shifted, but we really haven't seen Pioneer on the big stage and kind of what we were talking about earlier with the OP and the overall tournament feel for this sort of event, how many big teams are there going to be? You know, I think any individual person is likely just working 
on Magic Online, off of Magic Online. And if you're in the queues, the same as they are, you probably run into them at some point, you know? So keeping secrets is going to be tough unless there are actually big secret testing houses. And I'm not sure that those really exist for this. No, I don't think so either. And your point about the queues is a really, really smart one. A lot of deck building is just being influenced by what you see and being like, oh, what about this idea? And then rebuilding that idea and getting to a place where you either make it worse or you occasionally do make it better and you move the tech forward and then you run into someone else in the queues. And I remember this is going way back to an extended PTI I played where we had a really, really good deck. We weren't playing it in leagues and like trying to keep it secret, but we were just playing in two man queues all the time against a bunch of other people qualified for the PT. And by the time the PT rolled around, everyone knew about the deck. It was not a secret in the least. So it it just doesn't work. Like if you're, if you're trying to keep things secret, it's not going to happen unless you are truly isolated and just testing within a house. And like you said, not a hundred percent sure that's going on here. So I think the inverter stuff is the breakout. Maybe someone can have sweet tech for that. Maybe someone puts together a version of ramp that will hold up in the face of something like an insta-kill combo. But in general, when you're breaking a format, it's usually via a combo, and it's hard to imagine something more impactful than two cards win the game with some really nice disruptive elements. Yeah, and I mean, in the case of ramp, you can kind of break a format in that you have a bunch of good matchups across the board, but your deck is never going to be super busted or like better than anything that anyone else is doing, right? It's just a matter of your deck naturally lining up well against theirs. And mm-hmm. especially in the case of this, this two-card combo, I, I think that the, the combo just kind of invalidates a lot of decks that people may have otherwise been thinking about playing, like any sort of ramp deck, right? Like you, right. Can't, you can't do mono green Ulamog stuff in the face of this deck. You just can't. Cannot. Absolutely not. Yep. So changes a lot of stuff. And we kind of have the prologue to these two tournaments this weekend, but there was a limited amount of time for people to react to it. So it's it's going to be interesting. I, I kind of want to see what happened in the mad scramble and how people actually adapted to this. I know a lot of people just ended up playing it themselves, and that's cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to watch play out. Although, of course, everyone will be watching the SCG tour and not the PTs. You can watch the PTs later. It's fine. I'm I'm fine. I want to see all magic watched and enjoyed, but your priority on Saturday and Sunday, SCG tour. You watch me, you watch Emma, hopefully covering Jerry and his team on a nice winning streak. It'll be a good time. And then we'll all watch the PT afterwards. Well, it, it also depends. I mean, maybe you just stay up for 48 hours in a row and just watch them all. I can't imagine. I think like Nagoya is probably going to be broadcast during some North American time or whatever, but I can't imagine that Brussels will be. I am not sure when the broadcasts are happening. I I think Nagoya is on a delay and coming on after the Brussels broadcast. I'm pretty sure I read that yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. We're, we're all me. watching the SCG tour. We all know that, but we'll check in with the PT later. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, you know that SCG is going to go live 10.30 a.m. Eastern, so. Be there. You don't have to think of, yeah, you don't have to think about like, oh, when is the the Wizards broadcast going to be on? It doesn't Con- matter. Consistency is nice. <laughs> I will say that. It, it matters to show up at the same time. It is kind of nice, but also it's like, it's not really their fault in this instance, right? Like, No, trying to be global. 
Yeah, and they're doing a European tournament and uh, an APOC tournament. And eh, I don't know. It just so happens that SCG is mostly East Coast at this point, and they get to keep it consistent. So it works out well. Easy game. And that is an easy game. You are correct. Good luck.